Um, Our scripture reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 21. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jeff said that's how you say it, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the King of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. The word of the Lord. So it's that time of year again. It's time for transformation. It's time in that uh, Christian journey of ours where we uh, all start figuring out how we're supposed to be different. Lent and it's coming up on Easter, you know, so now's the time. It's time to transform. In our growing healthy churches uh, uh, group uh, that uh, five Brethren in Christ churches meet together with, uh, our book of the month this month is Transformational Groups. So beware, we'll be transforming groups around here real now. Transformation has been a Christian buzzword since at least the mid-80s. We want to transform everything. We want to transform worship. We want to transform groups. We want to transform families. We want to transform, we especially want to transform kids. Uh, we want to transform everything. And usually what we mean by transformation is try harder, do more, and feel what we're supposed to feel. But what if transformation is something else? Something completely different, to borrow from Monty Python. What if transformation isn't more and better? What if transformation is something completely new? Completely unexpected? Completely out of our frame of reference? What if transformation dazzles and confuses us? The text this morning is Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. It is an act of political theater, which makes it in and of itself out of the wheelhouse of most of Western Christian experience because we want to keep the politics separate from the Jesus story. And yet Jesus keeps messing with us. He keeps confusing us. He keeps dazzling us. 
Jesus enters into Jerusalem in a direct confrontation to the Roman and Jewish political structures of his day. Plus, we call this Palm Sunday. And you'll notice the absence of palms. They're not in Matthew. Read the passage again carefully. They cut branches, but Matthew doesn't say what branches. Could have been olive branches for all we know. There are actually more olive trees than palm trees on the route that Jesus probably took. So before we get locked into some traditions, let's remember that the Gospels speak with different voices and tell different stories for different reasons. Matthew's story of the political theater of Jesus entering Jerusalem is in four acts. There's the approach in verses 1 through 3, and Jesus stages his approach in the little shanty town favela of Bethphage. And Paige did pronounce it correctly. There is no silent E in the Greek. So you pronounce the long E at the end, Bethphage. And it's there that Jesus asks the disciples to find him a donkey, the pickup truck of the ancient Near East. Jesus does not enter Jerusalem in a limo. He doesn't land in the Temple Square in Marine One. He enters Jerusalem in, well, a Ford or a Chevy, depending on your preference, in a pickup, in a beater. And it's a fulfillment, because in verses 4 and 5, we have quoted for us uh, a verse from Zechariah 9. Zechariah 9, 9, to be, to, to be accurate. And Zechariah 9 is a retelling in the post-exile era, a retelling of, of the coming of the king. Now, in, in the post-exilic era of Israel, in what we call the Second Temple uh, era, Israel has no king. They are a province of the Persian Empire. They are hanging on by the skin of their teeth, by their fingernails. They are clinging to the edge of existence. And Zechariah the prophet, after unpacking in chapter 8 of Zechariah, this great vision of what the city of God looks like. And actually, Zechariah 8 is a really good story, a really good unpacking of what I call God's urban policy. Save that for another sermon. But Zechariah 9 recounts what does it look like when the king really enters? What will it look like in that day off in the future when we won't be hanging on by our fingernails, when we won't be clinging to the edge of existence, when we won't be anxious about everything in our lives? When the king comes, what will that look like? And Zechariah unpacks it as, well, there will be judgment, but not the, not the bloody judgment that we think, not a pogrom or a bloody coup d'etat or a, 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 a massive wholesale throwing out the rascals. 
It'll simply be everybody realizes that they haven't quite been on the king's side. And he will come. The king will actually come. He will, in flesh, he will be among us. And God will appear. The theophany that ends Zechariah 9. God shows up. And that was the aspiration of the people of God in Jesus' time, that God would somehow show up in a new way, in a fresh way, in a vital way, that business as usual wouldn't happen, that transformation wouldn't be slugging it out harder and harder, holy grit and grind. That God would show up and would make all things new. That's the verse Matthew points to, saying this is, this is that. Jesus entering Jerusalem isn't a call to, to His people to work harder for the revolution. It's an invitation to let God appear in our midst. To let God show up and challenge our assumptions and change our lives. And so the crowd sings Hosanna. And again, they quote from Psalm 118, the coronation hymn of the Hebrew hymnal. Because the King is coming. The disciples act in faithfulness, providing the pickup truck that Jesus needs. And the crowd praises the King as He enters. But the text, Matthew's, Matthew's story doesn't end with Hosanna. It ends with, who is this guy? All through the city of Jerusalem, people see this procession and they go, what is going on? What king enters Jerusalem in Chevy S10 in a Ford one fifty? Not a big Ford 350, you know, with diesel engine and all that. A 150. A little dinky truck. What king does that? Who is this? Beginning in a poor slum on a hilltop overlooking Jerusalem and going down into the valley, and back up into the city, restoring the ancient practice that declares power doesn't flow from God to the king, but power flows from God to his people and is given to a king. And praise mingled with questions. This is Matthew's account of what happened the beginning of that fateful week that would culminate with Jesus on the cross. Pure political theater. But what does it mean for us? What's our path of transformation? Shouldn't we just work harder, try harder, do more? Well, I want to suggest to us that Matthew's story gives us 
three invitations. The first invitation is to observe in our lives the grunt work of discipleship. What is it that Jesus asks the disciples to do? Go get a donkey. Not sexy, not fancy, not spectacular. Just go steal me a donkey. Go get a pickup. Just a simple truck. And I'll drive it into Jerusalem. Discipleship, following Jesus, isn't, isn't about doing wowzer kinds of things. It's about the simple daily act of following Christ. It doesn't demand of us heroism. It demands of us daily presence. And in that sense, there is a kind of grit and grind to discipleship. But it's not the grit and grind of, oh, work harder, do better, up your game. Jesus is watching. That's how discipleship sometimes got presented to me as a young person. Is You better try harder. You better get your act together. And if you don't get your act together, then all of us over here, the, the faithful chosen, we're going to reject you. It's not discipleship. Discipleship is go find a donkey. Go steal a truck. Go do the simple thing that Jesus needs right now. Observe the work, the grunt work of discipleship. Secondly, this text invites us to embrace the surprising Jesus. We think, as Western Christians with 2,000 years of gospel track record, we think we got Jesus pretty much figured out. He was born, he was a precocious little kid, he went into the wilderness and got tempted, but he didn't sin. And then he preached this sermon that got everybody all hot and bothered. And then he went around and preached and healed and taught. And then he went to Jerusalem and he got crucified. And then he rose again. Then he ascended. Now, and soon he's coming back. Woohoo. And Jesus is full of surprises. Jesus is a subtle guy. Jesus went into Jerusalem on a donkey and a Ford. The basic transportation of the poor, if they could afford that. Matthew spends his entire gospel up to chapter 21 with Jesus saying every time he does something, every time he heals, every time he does something spectacular, Jesus goes, don't tell anybody I did this. Just get back to being a good disciple. And then Jesus shows up overlooking Jerusalem in this little slum. And he says to his disciples, go get me a Ford. I'm driving in. We're going to have a little act of political theater. He publicly does something. It's a surprise. Jesus, if he had been true to the Jesus of Matthew 1 through 20, he would have snuck in in the middle of the night. 
He would have steeled his way into Jerusalem. He just would have shown up one day at the temple. That was Jesus' style. Except Jesus is always about surprising us. The minute you think you've got Jesus figured out, I guarantee you, you don't. The minute you think Jesus is all about your political or social or economic worldview, I guarantee you, you're wrong. Every one of us. Because Jesus is full of surprises. His visible entry was a surprise. His route was a surprise. Jesus starts up on top of the hillside overlooking Jerusalem in a little shanty town in a favela overlooking the city where the poor hung out at the end of the day. They would walk in in the morning to work, come out at night. And he goes down, he descends the Mount of Olives and then ascends back in Jerusalem. I've, I've walked what you know, the, the uh, tourist folks in Jerusalem say is the walk of the triumphal entry. Uh, and for those of you who know how much I love to walk, uh, you, you'll, you'll recognize that the first part of it, the downhill part, was a lot of fun. <laughs> the uphill part made Mount Rubidoux look like a cakewalk. But Jesus descends and then ascends. He's pointing to something even in the route he takes. Jesus is full of surprises. The minute we think we've got him figured out, we don't. And he will surprise us yet again. The third path to transformation in this passage is that hosannas and questions go hand in hand. The same people who praised Jesus with hosannas were also asking, who, who is this guy? So picture, if you would, the, the, the scene. Jesus is coming by. People are throwing out their cloaks, putting branches of some kind down on the ground, Jesus walking over them. And then they turn and say, who, who was that again? Who, who was it? Who is this Jesus? What is he about? I mean, I, that sometimes happens in our praise, doesn't it? We, we praise because we need the emotional uplift. But the questions remain. And Matthew is telling us, that's okay. That praise and questions go hand in hand. At the end of the Gospel of Matthew... Matthew will record what we call the Great Commission. It's not any greater than any of the other three Gospels commissions. It's just different. And before Jesus says, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth, go and make disciples, Matthew says, they gathered and they worshipped, but some doubted. Didn't say there were worshippers and there were doubters. It says they worshipped and doubted. Folks, genuine, authentic worship probably contains a little bit of doubt, a few questions. We think that praise is, oh, we got it all figured out. We got, we got the circle squared. We, we know what Jesus is up to. No, we don't. 
because he's full of surprises. And so it's important for us, it's critical for us to be a people who ask the questions, who ask the questions of God and of one another and of the world we live in. Because praise and questions go hand in hand. So this morning, a few questions for us. What is the simple act of obedience Jesus is asking you to do? Said another way, what's the pickup Jesus wants you to steal? It's the simple act of faithfulness that Jesus is calling you to this morning. I I have no idea what that is for you. But you do. What is the simple thing Jesus wants you to do next? And and if you're if you aren't doing something crazy, let me just say, if you aren't doing something crazy, you you might be you might be missing something. You might be missing Jesus' invitation. Secondly, what surprises has Jesus put in your path recently? And and here's a hint. If you haven't been surprised by Jesus recently, you may be missing something. Finally, what questions are you asking in the midst of your praise? And if you aren't wrestling with the questions, brothers and sisters, you may be missing something. One more thing. April 9th, 1945, a Lutheran pastor who'd been held by the Nazis for over a year was hung in his prison cell. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was executed on this day 72 years ago. Bonhoeffer's life was a life full of gospel-induced surprise. Born into an upper-crust German family, trained in all the uh, liberal theological schools of his day, a German pastor of, of a parish, uh, he chose to go to Barcelona, Spain as a young man and work with German-speaking folks there for a time. Then he came back, and, and when the Nazis came to power 12 years before his death, he wrestled with what to do. He began an underground seminary where 25 hand-picked young men trained with him in the arts of spiritual direction, in the, in the power of prayer to resist evil dogma. Seminary got closed down twice. He kept moving it, kept reforming this community, practiced spiritual arts like confession, German Lutherans didn't confess their sins to anybody, even themselves. But here was Bonhoeffer saying, unless we confess our sins to one another, we're not fit for the kingdom of God. Unless we're willing to embrace a radical kind of life together, we're not going to make a difference 
in this world that's falling apart. Bonhoeffer was full of surprises. Scholars are all over the map about what happened to precipitate his arrest. He was a writer of the Barman Declaration, which was a thorn in Hitler's side. He may have been involved in a plot to, ex to assassinate Hitler. Again, scholars are all over the map. What we do know is he got arrested. The Gestapo picked him up. And while in prison, he wasn't bitter, wasn't angry. He wrote letters that were collected and published posthumously as letters and papers from prison, where Bonhoeffer tells the story of loving his captors, of praying for the prison guards, of praying for fellow prisoners, until that fateful day on April 9th, 1945, when with the Allied armies just literally yards away from this prison, Bonhoeffer was hung in his cell. Bonhoeffer's quote, we are not to simply bandage the wounds of victims beneath the wheels of injustice. We are to drive a spoke into the wheel itself. You want to transform the world? Figure out where the wheels of injustice are. And drive a spike into the wheel itself. That will, that's the simple act of obedience. Not to go steal a pickup, but to give it a flat tire. That's the surprise of the gospel. That's where the questions and the praise mingle. May we have the courage to be transformed, not by working harder, not by holy grit and determination, not by grinding out the expectations of someone else into our lives, but by simple faithfulness, the simple act of obedience, the simple act of generosity to one another and to the world that takes on the wheel of injustice and breaks it. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's spend some time in silence before the Lord.